This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and have a seat. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, I remembered. You can tell. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, Wow. It's so good to see everybody, and I hope you have an absolutely fabulous day. If you're brand new to New Life, my name is Ron. I'll be teaching us over the next few minutes um, about a very practical aspect that we started learning about last week. We're breaking out parenting. It's based out of the biblical principle in Ephesians chapter 6 that says, it says, parents don't exasperate your children. Instead, raise them up in the teaching and the instruction that God provides. And so we're exploring ways that we can raise our children, teach and instruct them that don't exasperate them, but actually do the opposite of that, that set them up to succeed and to do well in life and hopefully reduce their stress level as they transition from our home and out into the adult world. So we're going to take a step in that direction. I have several things to say about that. But for those of you who are new to our church, I don't want you to get left behind in any way. So I'm going to introduce you to two tools that we use every Sunday at New Life. They're not just for people who are new to our church. They're for all of us. And the first is this uh, long skinny card says start here. You can put your name and your contact information on the front side. We promise not to abuse that in any way. And on the back side, there are opportunities for you to, to request information about things that our church provides. It's a place at the bottom for you to sign up for intro class if you check that option. That's the introduction to our church. It happens next Sunday. You probably saw the signs in the lobby. Uh, That's the way you do that. You just check that option, and we'll make sure we have a space reserved for you in the room off the end of the lobby next week. And uh, we have a baptism service coming up in two weeks. You probably saw those signs as well. So if you want to get baptized, you check those options. There's a place in there for us to pray about something that's going on in your life. This gives you the opportunity to communicate directly with our pastoral staff, Once you have your name and contact information on that, you can set it aside. We'll be collecting those at the end of the service. And then the other thing you want to get out is this tool. It's a a fill-in-the-blank teaching notes, and that will guide you through what I'm going to say over the next few minutes about parenting. But before I get into that, uh, let me say something to those of you who are not parents, Um, because it would call to question, well... My, my kids are all grown and gone, or I don't have any kids, or I'm not even married yet. Why would I listen to teaching on parenting? Well, here's the thing. As a church, we're a community of people, and we take the journey of life together. And we realize that though right now, my parents, my kids are all in their 30s or 40s, and so uh, in, in the sense of having my children in my home, the job is all done. So, But I'm taking this journey with lots of other people, and there may be times when I get the opportunity to speak into their life because they're my close friends, and I would like to have something of, of wisdom and import to say to them. And so uh, even if I, I'm not actively parenting children in my home right now, this is a great message for me to hear, to listen to, and understand. Besides, kids are really people, and there's, a, there's an application for all of this stuff outside of just our immediate home. So I want to encourage you to stay uh, on that journey and, and look for ways to be able to, 
share this with your friends in ways Obviously, it helps if they invite you to share rather than you just taking them aside and saying, I think you could really use some help in parenting here. Let me, who has no kids, tell you how to do that. Um, You know, look for the right time and opportunity. That makes sense to everybody, right? So um, uh, I want to say one other thing because, and this would apply to any sermon that I give or that our lead pastor Kevin gives. And that is oftentimes, well, every Sunday, we'll haul out a topic and there are, the topic will always be very significant in size, and there's always way more about that topic than we will be able to say in the 30 minutes or so that we're on the stage. And so uh, sometimes when you look at a topic and you think, oh my goodness, like when I haul out this topic today of this great transition in parenting, some of you are going to look at it and go, oh man, I am so far behind the game. Is there any hope for me? I want to say this about this and every other topic that that we teach you on. You can't change your whole life in any one day in any area. It's a much bigger project than that. It took you longer than a day to get to where you are, and it will take you longer than a day to get to where you need to be. But here's what you can do. Though you can't change your family today, you can actually start changing your family today. And the way you do that is you, you figure out what is my next step. Not where do I need to be five years from now. What's my next step? And if you take the next step today, and then tomorrow, take another small next step, and the day after, another small next step, and when you come back to church next week, take another small next step, you put enough next steps together, and you have a journey that takes you to a different destination. Everybody on board with that? So, Yeah. Identify one small step that you can take today, and that will be very helpful. Now, I'm going to teach you completely out of the chart that's in your notes. And it looks something like this, only yours is with a lot more detail. Okay? So this is actually a picture of parenting. And it starts with zero, and it goes to 18. And I realize you're not done parenting at 18, and I realize... Not every kid leaves your home at 18. Some of you have some 25, 26-year-olds you'd like to talk to me about later. That's, that's, that's a different subject, all right? But somewhere around 18, usually 18 to 20, our kids will be leaving our home, okay? So this is the journey. And I've just for the sake of easy reference, I've divided it up into four quarters, Q1, Q2, Q3, and Q4. And, and even though there are some differences for today, we're going to consider Q1 and Q2 together, okay? We'll consider Q3 by itself, Q4 by itself. And uh, so that's sort of how the chart is laid out. And let's start with the first understanding that you and I need to have, and that is right here at birth. Right here at birth, we all start with 100% positional control. That's what we have here. When children are born, they come with an innate understanding that their parent is in charge of everything. They have full and complete complete, implicit trust in us. When they're scared, they hang on to us. They grab a leg. They'll throw their arms around our neck. And if you've ever had a small child, you know, a child of eight or nine months that was scared, they'll hang on to your neck and you'll have a hard time breathing, right? Because they're just hanging on for dear life. Because they recognize that you are in full control of their life. You have 100% positional control. Now fast forward 
to 18 or so when they leave your home, at that point, you have zero positional control over them at all. And in fact, they actually get there oftentimes a little sooner than that. But the deal is, when your children leave your home, you have zero positional control over them. At that point, they're 100% in charge of their own. So what we're going to talk about today is the great transition from full control to no control. Got it? Yeah. And you have 18 years, basically, to get that done. Okay? So uh, that's where we're going. Let's talk about our goals, parenting goals for Q1 and Q2. Okay? And I've listed four of them, and they're all extremely important. I'll tell you why they are important. But the first thing that you and I need to be working on, or one of the major things that you and I need to be working on from birth up through age 12, is teaching children how to manage their thoughts. Okay? Monica, my wife, was a kindergarten teacher for 12 years, and every year she would come home and go, in the first day of class, <laughs> she would go, wow, you could take this class and just divide it right down the middle. And you could put on this side the kids that are going to do well in class, and they're going to do well in school, and they're going to do well, probably do well in life. And these are the kids that are going to struggle in class. They're by and large going to struggle in school, and, and they'll probably struggle in life. And I would say to her, what would that line be? And she would say, the kids on this side, their parents have trained them to focus their minds. And the ones on this side have no ability to focus their attention or their mind. Their mind just goes everywhere because their parents have never actually taught them the basics of how to focus. Now, you know when a child is five years of age, the focus is not going to last for 40 minutes, correct? Or even 10 minutes. But the child has to have been taught how to focus their mind for at least two minutes on one subject if the child is going to succeed. Now, as you move on through this, you're not only teaching them how to manage their thoughts about that, but you're teaching them how to think analytically, how to look at a situation and be able to analyze what's going on there and to be able to draw conclusions that are based in reality because you want them to learn how to think on their own. You're not always telling them what to think, although you have to guide them in their thought processes. They won't just do that automatically, but the goal is not to manage their thoughts for them. The goal is to teach them how to manage their thoughts and how to think analytically on their own. And, and during this time, you're trying to get them to combine their analytical thinking with their focus so that they can begin to make well-thought-out decisions. Yeah, 0 to 12, those are really important, really important skills for us as parents to teach and train our children in. There's a second area, and that is we need to train them in how to manage their own feelings. This is interesting. I don't know where this comes in parenting class, but all of us know this. Every parent somehow gets this because I watch this in operation all of the time. A two-year-old is running along on our church carpet, stubs a toe, and down they go. Right? I watch the parent terminate whatever conversation they're in and run over there at light speed and pick up the kid and put him or her on their feet and they say two words every time. What are they? 
Yeah, you're okay. You know why? Because they know if they don't do that in the first 10 seconds, they're going to give away the next 10 minutes of their life. Right. You know what you're doing? You're actually teaching your child to manage their feelings. You're teaching them to come to an understanding that every time you trip and fall down, it's, you don't have to feel like this is the end of the world. That you can actually bring your feelings under control which is a good thing. Process them, but bring them under control. The third thing that that you're going to want to teach and train them in, in these uh, zero to 12 years, is to teach them how to manage their own behavior. You can, if you want to, manage your child's behavior, but you will be missing a great opportunity, the opportunity to teach them how to manage their own behavior. We've all had this experience. We've all seen a two-year-old walk into a room that they've never been in before, and they look around the room and they, they're looking for what is it they're not going to want me to be in, and they go straight for it. Right? And as soon as the parent corrects them from that, they look around and say, what else do they not want? Okay, I'll go do that. You know something? When I see that, I realize that we have a parent who is trying to chase after and corral their kid instead of actually teaching that child how to manage their own behavior. Because if that child is logically with it enough to intentionally choose what's wrong, they're logically with it enough to be able to figure out what's actually right. They come in the same package. And as a parent, our job is actually to teach our children, while we have this massive amount of positional control, is to actually not manage their thoughts or manage their feelings or manage their behavior, although we have to do a little bit of that, but we're continually training them to manage their own thoughts and manage their own feelings and manage their own behavior because the subtext of what's going on underneath of all of that There's no blank for it in your notes, but you're going to want to write this down. You are actually teaching your child the basics of self-control. I want you to think about this for a minute. You start out here with total control at birth. When they walk out the door of your house, you have zero control. The only control they have left is self-control. So you're teaching them the basic building blocks of self-control, how to control their mind, how to control their feelings, and how to control their behavior, because when they get into these areas, you're going to want them to use these, these, these abilities to learn some things in here they really need to learn. But this is where they have to learn the skill of controlling their mind, controlling their feelings, and controlling their own behavior. So... We have one other goal in this in Q1 and Q2, and that is this. We need to begin building relational equity with our children. Because in the end, you start out with 100% positional control, and in the end, all you have is relational influence. What makes relational influence work is relational equity. And uh, let's see if I can develop that a little bit for us. <clears throat> relational equity is really the combination of respect and endearment. As your children get older, they're able to observe the real world and draw conclusions about the real world. And one of the things that they will consciously do is compare you as a parent with what should be. And the deal is, 
when they compare you with what should be, the more you fall short of what should be, the more difficult time they have respecting you. And the more difficult time they have respecting you, the less relational equity you will have with them. That makes sense to everybody, right? Shake your head one way or the other. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, sure. That makes sense. So, but the second part is endearment, okay? Because there has to be a bond, not just respect, but there has to be a bond and a very deep bond with children. And it actually gets started in many times. It gets started by what you do when you put a child to bed, what you do when you get a child up. But a lot of it has to do with how you play with your children. For those of you who have small children, I want to encourage you to get down on the floor with them and rough and tumble and play and toss and tickle. Be safe, okay? But, but do all that stuff. The bodily contact that, that takes place between parent and child, when those sorts of things are happening, it starts to weave this web of bonding between parent and child. And it is phenomenal in what it does in terms of relational equity. As your kids get older, you won't be able to do that. But I watch parents who try to build relational equity. Let's pick a number here at age 10. They haven't really bonded that greatly with their kids and so forth. So they think, well, I'm going to go to their soccer games and then we'll go here and we'll go there. That's, that's all good. But that's not going to build the deep, deep, deep bond you have to have. Last week I talked about taking your child and looking in their eyes and telling them how much you love them and how grateful you are that God selected them and personally chose them to be part of your family and how honored you feel to have been chosen to be their dad or their mom, and how much you love taking the journey of life with them. When your child is 8, 10, 12 years old, I mean, you can give that same message in easier, in smaller language earlier, but at 8, 10, or 12, man, they can understand every word I just said to you. And, and, and it, the endearment factor that takes place is huge. Let me teach you one other thing. Children have an emotional bank account. And the thing that makes every bank account work is you have to deposit more than you withdraw or you're in trouble, correct? Yeah, okay. So when it comes to children, actually when it comes to adults as well, the positive things that we convey to them are deposits. The negative things that we say to them are withdrawals. So when you correct a child, okay, that's actually a negative thing. No kid goes, man, this is going to be fun. I'm in trouble with my dad. No, that's going to be a withdrawal. Okay? Now, there's a way in which you can do it that keeps the withdrawal to a minimum. Okay? That's a sermon for another time. But it, it, it's a withdrawal. Here's what, I, here's what you have to know. For every withdrawal that you make, you have to make 10 deposits. It's not a one-for-one one deal. You've got to make 10. Because you want to build relational equity in Q1 and Q2, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Now, let's go to Q4. Because we have three goals in Q4. Okay? The first parenting goal in Q4 is to train them in life skills. It's, this is 0 to 12. This is 13, 14, and 15, 16, 17, and 18. Usually during uh, the Q4, you're going to teach your child how to drive. Okay? That will be nerve-wracking for most of you. All right? 
During this time, your, your child is probably going to get their heart broken. Maybe a boyfriend, it may be a girlfriend, may not be a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe a best friend. It may be a best friend that moves to Alaska. Usually somewhere in here, your child's heart is going to get broken, and you're going to get the opportunity to teach them how to manage relationships. It's really important for them to know how to manage relationships by the time that they leave your house. During this time, usually they're going to get a part-time job and they're going to start earning money. And you need to teach them the basics of money management so that by the time they leave your home, they have some idea of how to manage their money. Usually with the job comes schedule pressures because oftentimes they have a sport, they have their schoolwork, and now they have a part-time job. And if you've raised them in the church, they probably have a ministry that they're involved in. And now they're having to figure out, how do I make this schedule work? And you have the opportunity to teach them the skill of schedule management and time management and all that goes into that and how to choose priorities. And when those things come in conflict with each other, which one should take priority? Those are all life skills that you need to be teaching your children and so many more. And they come here. So you're giving them life skills. Super important. A second thing that you're doing is you're training them for independence. Because in one, two, or three years, they're walking out the door of your house and and they're going to have to learn how to live fully, independently from you. And that's a big, big deal. I remember when this hit my wife, Monica. Our kids were in their upper teen years or... And I, I, I can't remember the exact age, but they were, it hit her, oh my goodness, my kids, especially my oldest ones, are about ready to leave home. And she turned to me and goes, they don't know how to cut up a chicken. No, now we're from the Midwest, right? No good Midwest home would ever put their kids out into adult life without knowing how to cut up a chicken. I know, some of you think they grow as thighs and wings and breasts, right? <laughs> they actually grow as a whole chicken. So Monica went down, about four chickens, got all the kids in the, in the kitchen, and she was up there with a knife, and she gave each one of them a knife, and this is how you get the drumstick off, and this is how you get the wing off, and this is because, man, she realized we have to train our children for independence. I remember the day Lisa, our oldest daughter, middle child, she was the first to actually leave her home and enroll in college. And we were living in Honolulu at the time. And and Lisa had enrolled in a college in Fullerton, California, down in Southern California. And so we, we all got on a plane and we flew to Southern California and we went to the campus and we we found the room that Lisa was going to be uh, in, and we found out all the things that she needed to get. And we went to Target and various stores, and we bought all the things that she would need. We got her all set up in her dorm room and uh, said goodbye to her and drove to the airport and got on the plane, and there were plenty of tears. And um, the mood was sort of somber in our section of the plane, and... I leaned over to Monica and I said, you know, we're about ready to find out how we've done as parents. Next Sunday, if Lisa goes to church, she will go to church because she chooses to go to church, not because she's the pastor's daughter and that's where the family vehicle is going that Sunday. 
right? If she chooses to work in a ministry, it will be because she, it will be because she believes in ministry at this level, not because her dad or her mom are involved in ministry. When she chooses friends, out of all those hundreds and thousands of, of college students that are around that area, when she chooses her friends, she will choose friends based upon values that she has here, not based upon the values of our home. At that moment in time, you know what I was really thinking? I wonder, have we properly trained her for independence? Yeah. Okay? There's another goal in Q4. And that is, we're going to finish, because we only have one, two, or three years to, to, to build our relational equity with this child so that by the time they leave our home, whatever relational influence we have, that's what we have. And so we, we want to build that as much as we can uh, during Q4. Now, let's talk about Q3 for a few minutes, all right? Q3, the target goal during the ages of 13, 14, and 15 is sort of all the above. On your paper, you have something that looks... No. It goes all the way over here, and then you have something that looks like that. And there's an overlap right here. There's a reason for that. And I'm going to say some things about 13, 14, and 15-year-olds. But before I say them, I love every one of you. And I, I was 13. I was 14 at one point. I was 15, right? Um, here's the amazing thing about 13, 14, and 15-year-olds. They can do some amazingly and astoundingly adult things. I mean, when you see a 13, 14, or 15-year-old, sometimes what they do as a parent, you look at that and, and you will be so proud of them because what they did was so very much like what you want them to be as an adult. And you'll think, you'll turn to your spouse and you'll go, we're knocking it out of the park. That is awesome. It, it, that's just fabulous. Now, five minutes later, they will turn around and do something so childish. You will tend to look at your spouse and go, man, we are blowing it. I mean, it, it, yeah, same kid. And the interesting thing is, if you interview the kid, they felt exactly the same doing the adult thing as they did the kid thing. Yeah, because they're part adult. Their body is beginning to change. Their thought patterns are beginning to change. So you, you've got to work on finishing up the childish part of them, which is this part, and you've got to begin working on the adult part of them, which is this part. That's why it's some of all the above. Now, I want to give you an illustration. Uh, in a car... When you get your car in the wrong gear, and I know we've all done this, and you pull down the gear shift and you take off, and especially if you have an automatic and you're driving and all of a sudden you think, this thing should shift. Because you are like that, and, and you look down, oh, I've got it in the wrong gear. Put it up there, it takes off. That's great. Here's what you need to know. You probably noticed that there's a huge spike right here. Okay? And that spike is there for a reason. Because right at this point, as parents, 
you have to shift gears. And everything that makes you a really good parent from 0 through 12 will work against you in this part. Not everything, but many things. And many things that work against you at this spot, I'll say it, many things that work for you at this spot actually work against you at this spot. And so as a parent, you have to be able to skillfully navigate this and then shift gears in your transmission and do a whole different kind of parenting in this area. Um, and I'll explain how that works in a minute. But before I get to that, I want to talk about this spike right here that goes straight down. Because you've had a lot of positional control, and from 13 to 15, you're going to lose almost all of it. And I mean, it's going to dive in a hurry. And here's the thing. You've only needed this much relational influence. But at this point, you need to build it like crazy. The problem is, and here's the helpful hints for, for Q3 and 4, the relational equity required in this quarter can't actually be built in that quarter. So that's why in your charts, you have a dotted line that goes like this. Okay? What that means is, you need to get ahead of that game and you need to be building way more relational equity than you actually need because, trust me, from 13 to 15, your teenager is going to spend it all. That's just how it works. So get way ahead of that game in relational equity. Um, and then the last principle I want to teach you is this one. When I talk about this shift that has to take place right here, the independence principle is this. Don't use up the best choice. And here's what I mean by that. From zero through 12, your children actually know that they're children. Somewhere around age 13, they become convinced that they're adults. Okay? And rightfully so. They're making the transition to adulthood. You want them to come to that conclusion. Now, here's the thing. From 0 to 12, the best kind of parents, when they see a decision that their child needs to make, they sit down with the child, you know, assuming the child is old enough to, to have some input when they get along around 6 or 7, and they guide their thought process. This is the choice you have to make. Here's option 1, here's option 2, here's option 3, here's option 4, and, and I'm telling you as your parent, option 2 is the best. Here are the reasons why option 2 is the best. All that kind of stuff, what you're doing is you're training them how to think analytically and how to make good, good decisions and, and you're helping them control their thought process. Now, once they hit 13, there's an amazing thing that happens. There's a subplot that goes on in the subconscious mind and sometimes up in the conscious mind of every teenager and that is, I have to grow up. Have to. Not only I have to, I want to. So here's what happens. Let's just say they get to a similar decision, and you as a parent, by the time your kid is 13, you're going to be mid-30s or 40 or so, right? You've lived a long time. You look at this decision they have to make, and you realize right away there are four sort of basic options, and you realize right away that option two is the best. 
Now, if you say to your 13-year-old, you have this decision to make and so forth, and I'm telling you right now, you want to make decision number two, and here are the reasons why you want to make decision number two, and you give them all the best reasons in the world, there's something that triggers on the inside of them that goes like this. I can either follow that advice and remain a child, or I can make my own decision and grow up. Which one do you think they'll choose? They're going to make their own decision to grow up. The problem is, you just used up the best choice. And if they take the choice you just made, you, they will feel like a child. That's what I'm saying. Don't use, the best, don't use up the best choice. So when your children get to be 13 years of age, you sit down with them, so you've got this decision to make. What do you think are the options? And let them say to you what the options are. And then say to them, Which option do you think you should choose? Now, the really smart ones will already know, well, my parents would choose number two. I'm not going to choose that. How do you get around that? Well, once they say, I'm sort of leaning toward option number three, then you say, why would you lean toward option number three? I'm interested in what your thought process is. And they will try to come up with reasons for option number three. But in the back of their mind, they already know option number two is the right one. They just want to know, are you going to make me do number two? Yeah. So once they've laid out for you option number three, now you as a parent have a choice to make. Are you going to let them make option number three their choice? Or are you going to try to guide them to option number two? Well, that's where you have to have some wisdom. Because if option number three is not necessarily a bad one, it's just not as good a one, then you have to look at, what would this potentially cost my child if they took option number three? And if it turns out not to be catastrophic, you might want to let them make that choice. Yeah. Let me give you an illustration and then we'll close. When our oldest... Uh, child Anthony, our son, turned 13, he came in one day and said to me, Dad, I'm 13. I am well capable of managing my own homework. I said, well, you've kind of been managing your own homework. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I don't need you to ever ask me if I've done my homework. I don't need you to ever look at any of my homework. I don't need any of your help with my homework. I am good. Really? Yep. I said, well, how much do you believe in that? Oh, Dad, I got it handled. I'm, you know, I'm, I got one whisker right here. <laughs> right. So I had a choice to make, right? So I said to him, you believe you can manage your homework as well as I do. He said, I can manage it better. All 13-year-olds think they can manage everything better than their parents, usually, right? So I said, Okay, I'm up for that, which was a big shocker, Dan. I said, I'm up for that. I said, bring me your progress report from last quarter. So he did. And I said, so I had a piece of paper, and I wrote down on the paper, I said, what'd you get in math? And he told me his grade in math. I said, what'd you get in science? I wrote down his grade in science. What'd you get in history? I wrote down that grade. You know, and I just went through and I wrote down all of his grades. And I said, okay, you're in. You're in charge. Here's the deal. At the end of the quarter... We're just going to bring in your progress report and compare. And we're going to see how capable you are of managing your own homework. 
I'm good, Dad. So it comes time for his progress report. And he comes home and his head's hanging a little low. Um, hey, son, let's look at your progress report. Okay. He hauls it out. Now, here's the good news. On probably three quarters of the grades, his grade was just as good as it was when I was helping him manage his homework. But on a couple of them, it had slipped a portion of a grade or maybe a whole letter grade. Now, I had an option at that point as a parent to say, see, I told you you couldn't manage your homework. And I would be forcing him back into childish behavior. So instead, I said to him, how satisfied are you with that? I could do better. I said, yep, I know you can. You did better, so I know you can. So what's your plan? You want me to go back and manage, help you manage your homework so you can get all those grades up where they belong? Well, Dad, I'd like to try it one more quarter, but I, I, this is what I'll do. I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. And he named three or four things that he was going to do different that quarter. And I said, you know, I think those are great choices. Why don't you do that one more quarter, and we'll see. And if at the end of that quarter, your grades haven't gone back up to where they belong, then we'll look at what we can do together to make that happen. You understand? Making the great transition. You know what all of that relied on? First of all, that he had been taught the basics of self-control, how to manage himself, but it also relied on the fact that we had relational equity enough that he could come to me and feel like we could navigate that together and that I could trust him in that. So here are three ways to apply this, okay? The first one is this. Some of you are struggling with your children under control. You're chasing your kids all the time, and you don't know what to do about that. I can tell you that whether your child is two years old or your child is 14 or 15, there's a website called Total Transformation. It's not a particularly Christian website, but the guy who has put it all together is a Christian, has based it all on biblical principles without putting the references there. Um, and uh, there are families in our church who have used it, and it's been very, very helpful for them. So I would encourage you, if, if you're having troubles with the behavior of your children, whether they're 2 or 16 or 18, I would encourage you to check out that website. So um, there's all sorts of resources on there for you. Um, if you want that, you just check that box uh, on the backside of your Connect card, and I'll send you the link that will take you right there. Secondly, my family and I are putting together a video this week in which we're going to take the material from last week and this week, flesh it out a little bit, and you're going to get to hear my wife and my daughters tell you whether I was telling you the truth or not. All right, so there you go. Uh, if you know my wife and my daughters, you know that'll be funny. They'll have some fun stuff to put in there, some stories to talk about what that looked like when they were on the growing up end of that, and also what they've done now in their own parenting and auntie and uncle roles as adults. So if you want that, just check that, and we'll send you a link to that video. It'll be on New Life's YouTube page. And then we always give people the opportunity to make a first-time decision for Christ. And, and I was just so, uh, virtually every Sunday, in fact, I can tell you every Sunday, people are making that decision, and it was fun to hug a lady on the way out the door of second service who had her packet and said, I'm on the journey. I'm starting this week. So 
Uh, if that's where you are, then I want to pray. God, thank you for every home represented here. Thank you for every child represented here. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. Would you help us to identify our next step as, a, as fathers and mothers or aunties and uncles or whatever it, the case may be? Would you help us to take that step today? And especially if that's the step of following you and entering into a first-time relationship with you. God, would you, would you help us to take a step forward today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.